Let's pray together. Father God, as we come to look at your word this morning, we pray that you would help us to hear it rightly. This familiar passage, help us to take hold of it afresh and to hear its truth, that we might be changed by it to your praise and glory. Amen. So this morning we are continuing our teaching series looking at Matthew's Gospel. And this morning we come to the start of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to spend quite a few Sundays, I suspect, working our way through this sermon. Now if we, we need to be clear right from the very start that the Sermon on the Mount is not about a list of rules to keep. As if you do this and everything will turn out fine. No, what we see here is it's all about God's kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, and what its citizens are truly like. So what we need, first of all, is to be changed, to be transformed by Jesus. Now, this morning, I only have two main points uh, as we look at these 12 verses, which is remarkable given the fact that a few years ago we did a whole sermon series on these 12 verses, which took up eight sermons. So we are condensing things a little bit this morning to do the whole lot all in one sermon. But the first thing I want us to see as we look at these 12 verses, these beatitudes, these blessings, is I want us to see firstly the king who changes everything. The king who changes everything. Well, up to now, in the first four chapters of Matthew's Gospel, we've learned about Jesus' birth, how he's grown up, how he goes about preaching and healing, and indeed calling his disciples. And then comes chapter 5, and it begins with Jesus going on retreat, <coughs> going up a mountain. Verse 1, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And it's hard here not to miss the parallel with Moses in the Old Testament, who also, you recall, when God had gathered uh, the people of Israel together and, made them, and brought them out of captivity from Egypt and arrived outside Mount Sinai, and Moses went up the mountain to receive the commandments, to receive God's instruction as to how the people of God is to live. And here we have Jesus, having called his disciples, going up a mountain and sit down. And he sits down, his disciples come to him, and he teaches them. And he begins by announcing eight blessings that we read. Now, if the sermon was exactly what we have in chapters 5 to 7 of Matthew's Gospel, then the sermon would be about 10 to 15 minutes long. And uh, many might rejoice at that. But in fact, it is much more likely that what we have recorded for us in chapters 5 to 7, the, the, seven, the teaching, the Sermon on the Mount, was a summary of a whole day's teaching. You might, have, might think this more of a day's conference, um, a whole day's teaching. And what we have encapsulated in Matthew 5 to 7 is a summary of that. And as Jesus opens his mouth, and, he, and as he opens his mouth, he announces who the truly blessed people are. 
And who are they? Well, have a look at verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And you may remember in the Old Testament uh, that there were blessed people and there were cursed people. And in the Old Testament, the blessed people had lots of outward blessings. God poured out his blessing on them and they had things like land and good crops and uh, big families, lots of children, lots of sons. They had victories over their enemies and so on. That's what blessing looked like in the Old Testament. Go read about Abraham. He was a man greatly blessed by God. He had all of that. And now Jesus, who is God's anointed son, declared so at his baptism, which we looked at a little while ago, is about to announce now who the truly blessed people are. And you might want to think, surely he's going to say, it's the successful, the strong, and the victorious, the people who believe in themselves, have self-confidence, the rich and the powerful, right? Surely that's what the world would say to us. Who are the best people the world would say? Well, it's all them lot. And we are so used to the sermon, blessed are the poor, that we forget the shock of what that that must have been to the first disciples. Remember, all their life, the disciples would have been taught and believed that blessing was always seen in outward experience. It was always seen in prosperity and abundance and wealth and and success and all those things. And Jesus opens his mouth and he says, blessed are the poor, the sad, the humble, the hungry, the peaceful, and the persecuted. And you think to yourself, seriously? Is that really what it means to be blessed? Is that what you think about being blessed? Being poor? Being sad? Being humble? Hungry? Persecuted? And we need to understand here that the word blessed is a much bigger word than the word happy or content. Some, some translations in the Bible uh, translate uh, the, the word used here as happy. But you see, the problem with that is that happy uh, really has a very strong sense of, uh, of, of feeling. It's feelings-based, isn't it? I feel happy. Rather, what is intended here is to be blessed means to be favoured by God. It's to be approved by God. The person who is blessed is the person who is accepted by God. Who is welcomed by God. It is the person who is um, in God's good books, as it were. A changed person. So you notice right at the very beginning of chapter 5 and verse 3, Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven. And what sort of kingdom is Jesus announcing? Well, it's not a political kingdom of soldiers and horses and battles and victories, no. This is a kingdom of people who have been obviously and deeply changed. 
People who recognize Jesus as their king. And in receiving Jesus, their hearts and lives are fundamentally, irrevocably and completely transformed. They are changed people. Jesus, you see, is the king who changes everything. Now we need to get this. Because if you think of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, that is just a series of instructions to be good, to be better, to do things properly. If that's the only way you read the Sermon on the Mount, sort of like the simple golden rule approach. Yeah, as a whole, you know, this is, this is how you live life, to, uh, to be. Then what's going to happen? Well, you're going to be deeply depressed on the bad days when you fail, when you fall short. And on the good days, when it all seems to work out right, well, you're going to be proud, are you not? How good am I? Look how well I've done. See, being a Christian, being a citizen of God's kingdom, requires, in the very first instance, a complete change and transformation. And it is Jesus the King who changes everything for all who come to him. So what does that change look like? Well, that leads us really into the second main thing for us to see here. And that is the King who changes anyone. So anyone here this morning... Anyone in the city of London, anyone at home, anyone at school, it is Jesus who changes anyone. No one is beyond his ability to change. I read a story about a lift boy in America in the 1940s, uh, where every time someone got into his lift, he would say to them, I can take you to levels 1 to 10, but only Jesus can take you to heaven. And uh, when they inquired after this and uh, said, why? Well, he said, look, I am just a nobody telling everybody that there is a somebody who can save anybody. And that is verses 3 to 12 of Matthew 5. This is what Christian conversion looks like. When a person becomes a Christian, it looks like verses 3 to 12. Now these verses are not like cars in a car park that you can choose which blessing you want to drive away in. They're more like carriages in a train. They all hold together. To have a more feminine example, they're not like chocolates in a box where you get to choose one, they're more like pearls on a chain that you wear all together. And what these blessings do is they describe what the truly blessed person looks like. They show us what a Christian, what someone who is approved by God looks like. So if you want to know whether you are a Christian then we need to look at verses 3 to 12. 
So it's a bit like a test, isn't it, this morning? Sounds a bit scary, doesn't it? Might make us feeling a little bit uncomfortable. But that's okay. Uh, let's have a little dash through these blessings quickly. Um, bearing in mind, we did it in eight sermons before. So we've got, to, we've got to dash. So blessing number one, blessed are the poor in spirit. You see, the, those who are truly blessed, who are approved by God, is the person who knows that their spiritual pockets are empty. That your spiritual bank account is at nil, or indeed even in overdraft. You're spiritually poor and you know it. The truly blessed person fundamentally, head and heart, recognizes our spiritual bankruptcy and say, I absolutely and desperately need Jesus. I am bankrupt spiritually. Blessing number two. Blessed are those who mourn. Now this is not about going around with a sour face or full of tears all the time. But rather that as we recognise our spiritual bankruptcy as we face the reality of our own sin and depravity, it is heart-wrenching. I wonder if that's how you see, if that's your response to the sin in your life, to those things that you recognize dishonor God in your life, to the things that you do and say and think that run against God's standards. Does it lead you to mourn? Do you mourn your own sinfulness? The person who is truly blessed is someone who grieves the fact that they are sinners. Thirdly, blessed are the meek. And the idea is here that no longer do you compare yourself with others, saying, well, at least I go to the growth group. So I'm a better Christian than so-and-so who doesn't. No. The only one we compare ourselves to now is to Jesus. We don't worry about what other people say or think of us. There's no self-pity because we know that we have no rights. You see, meekness is not about pretending to be humble. It's about being honest about ourselves in the light of who Jesus is. When we compare ourselves to Jesus, not to Joe Blog sitting next to us in the pew, but to Jesus, we recognize how low we truly are. Blessing number four. Blessed are those who hunger for righteousness. You see, the longing of the truly blessed person is that they will be right with God, not cut off from him. You see, when you're not a Christian, your appetite is for the things of this world. You run after things of this world. You long for the things of this world. But you see, as a Christian, all of that changes. We become hungry to want to know Christ better. We devour Christian books. We listen to Christian podcasts and to sermons. We don't moan at the length of a sermon. We don't 
look at Bible study as a drag, as something that's going to take out time in our week. There is a hunger for God's word. But it's more than that. It's not just to have knowledge. It's in order that we might know God, that we might live out in righteousness. Do we have a hunger for righteousness? Or do we live all too comfortably with the sin in our lives? Blessed, says Jesus, are the merciful, verse 7. You see, because the truly blessed person is the person who recognizes the mercy that they have received from God. And it starts to flow out of them. And starts to change our relationships. And we begin to think, well, I have received so much from God. He has been so merciful to me. How can I not be merciful to those around me? And I think that's probably most clearly seen in the way in which we deal with those who hurt us. Do we shut them out? Do we ignore them? Do we blank them? Do we actively persecute them? Or do we love them, forgive them, and welcome them back? Blessed are the merciful. Lesson number six, blessed are the poor in heart. Now, it doesn't mean here that you are perfect or sexually pure, but rather means that there is a new work inside you. It's not simply about outward experience, Blessed are the pure in heart. But it is a life that is driven by a heart change. An inward spiritual change. A desire to live purely. Blessing seven. Blessed are the peacemakers. Because you want others too to experience the peace you have with God. It's not, just, it's not simply about trying to stop fights between people. But it's about recognizing the peace that we now have with God, having once been alienated from God and wanting to share that peace with others. If you have no heart for evangelism, that should raise a question in your mind. Because the truly blessed person longs for others to come and receive the peace that they themselves have experienced. And then finally, the blessed are those who are persecuted. Verses 10 and 11. You see, when you become a Christian, it impacts the whole of your life. You are completely changed. And so the choices... The decisions, the attitudes, the priorities that you have are not the same as they once were. And you will discover that your non-Christian friends and family and work colleagues will notice. And you may begin to feel a bit of a negative vibe on occasion from them. You see, you no longer simply go along with the flow of the world... 
And so you will face resistance, perhaps mocking, and even outright persecution. And Jesus says, well, you must see all of that as something of a privilege, of something worth rejoicing in, because it shows that you are not dead, but alive spiritually. So as we look at these blessings, what we see here is Jesus painting a portrait of the truly blessed person, the person with whom God is pleased, is blessed. And Jesus says in Matthew 5, 1 to 12, the kingdom is marked by great blessing. But the blessing is that you are brought low to see yourself as you truly are, recognizing your absolute need of Jesus. And in so doing, you are brought very high as God welcomes you into his kingdom. It is very interesting to see the parallel where the Lord Jesus himself, in Philippians 2, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. And in his service and loving sacrifice for for God, we read that God exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, that at his name every knee should bow and every tongue confess. There's a story about a man called Staffordshire Bill. Have you heard about him? Um, He was converted under the ministry of Martin Lloyd-Jones. And he was a man in his 70s and extremely profane in his language. In fact, he was so bad that the other uh, troublemakers in the village avoided him because of his low moral drunkard ways and his filthy conversation. He was that bad. And he was sitting in the pub one night, uh, settling down to drink himself into unconsciousness, which was kind of his normal routine. And as he sat alone, he overheard a conversation in the table, at the table next to him. And at the table next to him, there were two fellows who were talking about uh, the nearby church. And one said to the other, Do you know, I was there last Sunday, and the preacher said, Nobody was hopeless. That there was hope for anybody. And Staffordshire heard nothing of the rest of that conversation. But he said to himself, if there's hope for anybody, there may be hope for me. And I will go and visit that chapel. So he turned up uh, at church the next Sunday. And he was too frightened to go in. And so he walked home. This happened a further two Sundays And then on the fourth Sunday, he walked up to church and there was a person standing outside and they said to him, are you coming in, Bill? Come along and sit with me. And that night, Staffordshire Bill listened to Lloyd-Jones as he preached and he passed from condemnation into life. He found he could understand the things being said. He believed the gospel and his heart was flooded with great joy And with great peace. And as he left the church that night, in the company of the man who had invited him in, his companion introduced Staffordshire Bill to the pastor's wife, 
uh, with these words, this is Staffordshire Bill. She said later, I will never forget the agonised look on his face when he flinched as though he had been struck a blow, saying, oh no, oh no, that is a bad old name for a bad old man. Today, I am William Thomas. William became a fixture in the congregation. He was the first to Bible study each week. He was the first to church, always willing to offer, to help, to serve. And when he died of pneumonia three years later, and Lloyd-Jones was at his bedside, William Thomas said quietly, I'm going home. And he died with a smile on his face and joy in his eyes. You see, anyone who comes to King Jesus is mightily blessed. Anyone who sees how unworthily, how undeserving they are of God's favour and yet comes to King Jesus, he is the king who will change us and we will find that we are mighty blessed.